Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room so that we can talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar, far from. I'm just your average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. I have found that one of the best ways to do that is by discussing Come Follow Me with others. My hope is that you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing what you learn with others. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 37, following along with God is my salvation, Isaiah chapters 1 through 12. We are in the book of Isaiah. Um, there is always a lot of, uh, I don't know, just generic worry about going through Isaiah. And I get it because when, typically as members, when we first read the scriptures, we read the Book of Mormon. And we read through First Nephi, it was this really fun story about this family who leaves on this journey and builds a boat, and they start crossing. And then all of a sudden, we get to Second Nephi, and we start going through some of the hardest chapters to read as a child and a youth, and even as an adult. And so it builds up this fear around Isaiah. If I could just ask and encourage one thing, which is, please don't let your preconceived notion of Isaiah affect your reading. Again, this is me knowing that we are, you're probably, your family's already way past this point, because... Uh, in real time, we should be studying Isaiah chapters 50 through 57. Uh, but if you haven't, and if you've been procrastinating it, uh, please don't let preconceived notions about Isaiah stop you from reading. It is some of the most, um, I don't know, beautiful lessons that I've learned about the Savior specifically. And I would actually say that Isaiah is the most Savior-centric book of the Old Testament. Um, there's a reason that Christ quoted Isaiah the most. I think there's a reason that uh, the Book of Mormon the prophets and apostles quoted Isaiah the most. And it's because it was it is the most Christ-centric book of uh, all of the Old Testament. And plus, there might be something, it might have something to do with him being the most relevant prophet to, to all those people as well. I mean, he was 100 years uh, prior, and so very similar to us always quoting Joseph Smith, right? Uh, we, we have a tendency to quote those who are past, who are, are deceased, passed away, uh, but also near enough that we are still familiar with them and their time frame and their, their time of life, so to speak. So uh, maybe that ties into it as well. But no, truly, Isaiah, um, Isaiah is an amazing book. It's an amazing book and, and uh, amazing prophecies. And I think so many of them really do apply to us. So Please don't let those preconceived notions stop you as we read. Now, let's get into the introduction. Even if this is your first time reading the book of Isaiah, you might find passages that sound familiar. That's because of all, of all Old Testament prophets, Isaiah is the most is one is the one most often quoted in other books of scripture including by the Savior himself. <laughs> you thought I knew all those facts cuz I'm smart. No, I read this before. Isaiah's words also appear often in hymns and other sacred music. Why is Isaiah quoted so often? Surely part of the reason is that Isaiah had a gift for expressing the word of God in vivid, memorable language, which is true. I think he truly was blessed with uh, specific spiritual gifts. Uh, but it's more than that. Isaiah had inspired prophets for generations because the truths he taught transcended his own generation. The Israelites living between 740 and 701 B.C., his role was to open our eyes to God's great work of redemption, which is much bigger than one nation or one time period. From Isaiah, Nephi learned that he and his people, though separated from the rest of Israel, were still part of God's covenant people. In Isaiah, New Testament writers found prophecies about the Messiah that were being fulfilled right before their eyes. 
And in Isaiah, Joseph Smith found inspiration for the latter-day work of gathering Israel and building Zion. When you read Isaiah, what will you find? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I do, I do love... I do love some of the lead in language. We all do it. I just think it's funny that we can find it in the... Come follow me. Anyway. Uh, okay. There are... Uh, how many sections here? Uh, five. Yeah. Five sections. And I got a bunch of thoughts. But honestly, today we're going to focus on section two and section three. So section two is cease to do evil. Section three is God will do a great work in the latter days. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm going to skip to the first section, which is how I how can I better understand the teachings of Isaiah? Nothing specific from the reading, but I do want to share this. Uh, I already asked at the beginning, don't avoid Isaiah. And I think one best way to not avoid Isaiah, I, that, honestly, that's tip number one. Don't avoid Isaiah. Don't avoid reading it. Don't avoid, don't try and skip over it or be like, I just don't understand this. My tip is this. This is also, again, coming from your average Latter-day Say, I have, I have done no studies or no classes I, that, that taught me how to read Isaiah. Uh, half the time, I think I'm making up everything <laughs> I'm getting from it. Uh, so just from your average Latter-day Saint, here's my tip. One, don't avoid it. Two, don't overcomplicate it. Don't, don't let it, don't let like, because of the language, um, because it's, it's kind of a, like a Hebrew poetry, and then also like, and it's not, it's not even necessarily poetic. It's, it's, um, I look at it like Isaiah is giving a blessing, right? And sometimes when you get a, a father's blessing, so to speak, right? Uh, if you've had the privilege of receiving a father's blessing, you know that your dad probably sounds different giving you a blessing than he does when he's talking to you at the dinner table or when you're about to get busted for something you did that you broke the rules, right? It's, it's, uh, it's different, it's a different way of speaking and talking. And I, in the same way, I look at it like Isaiah is giving a father's blessing. So the language is a little different. Um, but that doesn't mean that just because the language is a little different, that there's some, like, I, I'm, I need to look for the super deep symbolism. There is tons of symbolism. I'm not taking that away. And there are things that I definitely don't understand. So I'm not pretending like I'm, again, an expert. I'm not. But I enjoy reading Isaiah. So that's the perspective I'm coming from and explaining. Don't overcomplicate it. And then also, there's this whole page right before called Prophets and Prophecy, and it gives some tips. So read that. That's number three, is, is read what Come Follow Me talks about. Uh, but it talks in that specific thing. I'll just say this. It says it takes effort to read the words of ancient prophets. And I love that because it's supposed to. It's supposed to take effort Um and, and let's not be upset because it takes effort to read and understand the scripture. So that's all I want to share from that first section. Now, cease to do evil. What does Isaiah have to say about it? Uh, Isaiah continually warned the kingdom of Judah about their spiritual condition. After reading Isaiah chapters 1, 3, and 5, how would you describe the spiritual, spiritual condition of the people? Um, I'll just say that it sounds very similar to what we're going through now in our day, which I think is cool because it makes it more relevant if the two time periods are relatively similar through what we're going through, then the warnings seem applicable. And here's the warnings. In chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. How is that a warning? Well, uh, one, I think the warning for our day, this is a criticism I've been hearing. And I'm going to, as we go through the different lessons of Isaiah, you're going to hear me talk about this a lot. And it's also just a natural perspective I take. 
I hear a lot of criticisms. I've had a lot of friends who have left the church since 2020, that specific year. Uh, maybe that's the first year I started noticing or maybe we were just all on social media a lot more. I don't know. But I have had a lot of friends who continuously, there's been a larger flow and it's, it's, uh, I've talked about this before, but because it's been a larger, you know, flow of people who have uh, become disenfranchised with the gospel or the church. Uh, and, and maybe they, they, they would say it's disenfranchised with the church more than the gospel, I'm sure. Uh, because I've seen that, I've heard a lot of criticisms from these friends who I still am friends with and still uh, see their social feeds or, or, or I talk to them and, and hear their own perspectives. So because of that, I come from a perspective of taking their arguments or their where they're at and why they're there. And then I, I think I take that and I think about it myself. I internalize those things and decide why I don't believe any of that. <laughs> and uh, so that's the kind of the perspective I'll be coming at. Um, I apologize if that's not the, the best way you like to hear it. And to which I would say, I hope you can gain gain anything from uh, the Spirit because I've, I've prayed to have the Spirit with me that He does all the talking. And I've tried not to talk through myself, but um, on this one, this is just how I... This is how I went through Isaiah, and it was the most helpful for me. So I do hope that anything I say is helpful for you. The criticism that I have heard, and the reason I call this a warning, is that I have heard that uh, repentance should not be a daily thing, and it's ridiculous to tell people to repent daily, that it's it's so judgmental to tell people they need to repent. Here's why I disagree, and here's why I believe Isaiah is warning us. Uh, Repentance is a daily process. It is not just about the grievous sins, but it's about changing our behavior, that takes an everyday change. Uh, if you've ever read a book on goal setting, if you've ever read a book on making a habit, all of them have this fundamental principle that it takes, like concerted daily effort. And I believe the same thing, I know the same thing is true with repentance, uh, except even more so because typically uh, if it's our sins or our behaviors or our patterns or habits or whatever it is, we are literally trying to change who we are. Uh, not just change what we do, it's changing who we are at our core. Yeah, that takes a heck of a lot more effort uh, than just like setting a goal to go to the gym five days a week, which again is a goal I've had forever and still struggle with it. And so if I struggle with my, you know, these daily goals, weekly goals, whatever it is, changing who we are takes even more effort and it takes a power far beyond our own, it takes the Holy Ghost to guide us. Um, so when it's, when, when, you know, the, the scripture come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, uh, they shall be as white as snow. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the core message that Christ has for us. We came here to get a body. That's the test. That's the plan of salvation. We came here to receive a body, to be tested, to be tried, and to prove where where we will end up in final judgment. Where are we going? What law will we live for the eternities? Celestial, terrestrial, telestial. I forget if I got those in order right. Uh, But that's why we're here. That's what we're doing. With that is this underlying law of justice. We can't rob justice. No one can rob justice. God can't rob justice. Um, It's in the scriptures. It says so. It's from his own mouth. He talks about how he can't rob justice, right? And so this law of justice states that essentially that if we sin, if we do anything out of line with the universal laws, uh, then we have to suffer for them. What was the suffering if we were to sin or mess up or, or fall out of alignment? 
It was that we couldn't be saved. We could not return back to live with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ because they are perfect. Um, they never did anything wrong. And so, like, it's impossible for us. We can't do that. And so what was the offering to be able to appease justice? Christ offered himself as an offering. Uh, he suffered for our sins so that he could then uh, not rob justice, but he could then dish out the mercy. It is so confounding that someone who was perfect, who never did anything wrong, would then step in for all of humanity, for everybody, and take on the punishment and crime. It, it, it's the most unjust thing that has ever and will ever occur in the history of the world. And that is why God was able to take the power. He had the power within himself to grant mercy because he suffered for our crimes. I don't understand it fully well, and I hope I'm not acting like I, like I do, but I do understand uh, the playground rules, right? I understand the playground rules. If you steal, if you steal someone's toy, if you steal a kid's toy, then they get to steal it back because it's unjust that you steal their toy and it's their toy, so they take it back, right? So I understand the most basic principles of justice and how it works on a kind of a universal law. And it confounds me that Christ, um, that he would suffer for, for my sins, for all the dumb, stupid stuff I've done in my life and the st stupid stuff that I'm probably still going to do throughout my life. Just it's confounding to me that he would suffer and and would do that. We'll talk about this more when we do get to Isaiah 50 uh, through 50 and 50 set through 57. But um, when we read, and I'm sorry I'm taking so much time on this, but I think this is just the most important scripture, honestly, of this entire reading is Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. Because for me, my joy comes from knowing that I don't have to sit in darkness for eternity. I don't have to be alone for eternity. Um, justice isn't going to claim me as long as I make Christ my master and I turn to him. And I let I essentially plead for his atonement to work for me. He already did it. He already paid the price. Um, so it's not a question of, of can he do it. I suppose before he had done it, that, that could have been the question of faith. It's not, no longer a question of faith now. Now I suppose the question is, do we believe that he did it? We have record that he did. Uh, we have testimony that he did. I certainly believe with my entire soul that he did. So now the question of faith is, will I turn to him and humble myself and allow him to make my skins, which are scarlet, right? Um, kind of if, if there was a page, a rap sheet, you know, mine's like blood red. And will I allow him to turn it white as snow? Will I give it to him? That's the good news, and that's the miracle. That's the miracle of the atonement. And so what, what's the warning for us? Freaking repent. That's the, like, that's the warning. Repent and go to him every day, even if it's like you, you, you went a full day without sinning. Well, go to him and repent for your pride. <laughs> go to him and repent for, for the things that aren't perfect within you. That is, that is the message, and that's the warning. And so... Uh, we have so much to, to share as far as this good news goes. And I need to remind myself of this constantly, which is that we do have the good news. People don't know this. People go kind of holding all this guilt and shame and uh, grief, and they don't have to. That's the good news. And it's, it's a marvelous news. It's wonderful news. And 
Um, so for me, that's the most important scripture from this whole reading is chapter one, verse 18. Also, it used to be, uh, you know, scripture mastery. And I know, like I said, last time we've gotten rid of those, but I'll remember that scripture forever. And then in uh, Isaiah chapter three, verse nine, it says, the shoe of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin is Sodom. They hide it, they hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Uh, the warning here is that it's our countenance that will condemn us. It's not actually our sins. Yes, our sins will indeed condemn us, but what I believe is that it's actually who we are on the inside that matters. And so when I hear these things like uh, modesty is honestly a big one. I have been hearing so much lately. I'm not sure... Modesty always kind of becomes a topic here and there, but I feel like it goes through waves, you know, because a couple of years ago, I remember modesty, again, always being an issue, but not on the grand scheme of things, especially for members. Um, but I have heard a ton of criticism, especially from those who are endowed and who are garment wearers, really attacking the garment, wearing the garment, modesty in general, and then anyone who judges modesty, right? Well, I believe it's no one's place to judge another person. Um, I do have a tough time with the justifications for immodesty, right? Uh, it's and this is what I've uh, what I've said and what I believe Isaiah is saying here. The warning is that it's not the actual sin. It's not the, you know, oh someone caught me drinking coffee at Starbucks and then they judge me for it. Like it's not about the actual drinking of the coffee. It's not the not wearing your your garments if you're in doubt. It's not. It's not about these sins. It's about what it's what is saying about your soul on the inside, right? Uh, we talk about taking the sacrament. Partaking the sacrament is an outward uh, sign of our inner commitment. The garment is the same thing. It's an outer sign of our inner commitment. So I guess logically explain to me, why would we have outer signs, signs that people can see, if it's also not to show the inner commitment of our souls? Like, that would be frivolous to have these if it's like, well, no one should be looking at me and judging. Again, if we all have the baseline that it's no one's place and no one's right to judge us, okay? I guess that's a baseline. But also these are signs that we have uh, to show an inner commitment. Uh, it's not about being better than, it's not about uh, I'm better than so-and-so because I live this commandment better than they do. It's not about that at all. Uh, but I think it says far more about you than you realize what you're showing on the outside, right? And just like uh, in this scripture, it talks about how in Sodom, they were declaring their sins. They weren't hiding it. Not that we should be hiding or covering our sins, but the behavior that we show, what we're showing we're comfortable with and explicit with, truly shows where our conversion is. And I genuinely believe that. It's why we have missionaries and they have so many rules, right? It's to help them. And can argue all day and say there shouldn't be so many rules, but ultimately the goal of the plan of salvation is to help get us back to Heavenly Father. And that is a, it's a very tough path and we're all trying to help one another. So that's all I have to say about that. And uh, this, this, this was a big one too. And then in chapter three, verses 12 to 24, it says, as for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Oh, my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. Uh, I think we're seeing this too in our day, right? It's like this this uh, youth generation with the, the loudest voices are somehow like 
tear down the old ways and and uh, we need to cancel anyone who's ever said anything bad over the last 100 years or 200 years. Uh, anyone in the history of time who has ever done anything out of line, they're no good. Uh, it, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, the, the whole thing's ridiculous. I think in general society believes that, that it's ridiculous. And yet the loudest voices seem to be the ones that uh, we hear the most. Um, which is why I have no problem using my voice to say it's completely ridiculous. Allow people to have grace and mercy and acceptance. If I literally just said that it's no one's place to judge, uh, I stand by that. I, I think it's... It's we we can judge actions for sure. We can judge behaviors. I have no problem saying that Hitler was a terrible, atrocious human being because of the crimes he committed uh, in humanity, right? Um, but again, I just think it's it's uh, trying to go back and look at well, this person said this at this time in their life, and and so we should never like they need to be completely destroyed and then and grovel and and self pity. It's no way to run as a society. And I believe that's the same type of, of warning that Isaiah was giving. He goes on uh, through those, those verses, but I'm going to jump just to 16 where it says, Moreover, the Lord saith, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go and making a tinkling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. And that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and their round tires like the moon's like the moon, the chains, the bracelets, and the mufflers, the bonnets, the ornaments of the legs, and the headbands, and the tablets of the earrings, the rings, and the nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel, the mantles, the wimples, and the crisping pins, the glasses, and the fine linen, the hoods, and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink, and instead of, uh, of a girdle, a rent, and instead of well-set hair, baldness, and instead of a stomacher, a girding of sackcloth, and burning instead of beauty. Uh, all of that to say, again, um, Modesty matters, virtue matters for both men and for women. Um, Isaiah specifically is talking about the, the women, but it matters for for all of us. Um, it is immensely important to God, uh, but not just for God. It's immensely important to God because he's trying to help us understand <laughs> that for us to receive uh, full celestial glory inside, we must change. We must change ourselves, and our outside should match our insides. I'm a firm believer in that. So uh, don't cast don't cast modesty and virtue aside. Don't say that it's it's old fashioned. It's not. It's eternal, and it's important. And then in Isaiah chapter five verse twenty, it says, "Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil; that put darkness for light and light for darkness; that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter." Yeah, this is happening today. This is happening all around. That's a, to me, it's an obvious warning. Uh, you literally have people calling for the murder of babies, like like. That's an actual thing happening. Well, I, uh, well, no, it'd be unfair or ridiculous to say that, like, to, to essentially to oversimplify uh, abortion as an issue in uh, in the U.S. and the world, right? Of saying like anyone who's pro-abortion or pro-life is is pro-murdering of babies. I'm talking about the specific group of people that can be seen with signs picketing saying "murder this baby." Right, uh, like I, 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 I don't understand how that's celebrated. Uh, there are several things again like that in the world that we're seeing that are celebrated at this point, and and openly mocked. I mean, our values are openly mocked all the time. I even just watched uh, an interview with uh, a famous, <laughs> a famous celebrity band 
who uh, were once active members no longer. I don't believe they, they are active anymore and probably haven't been for years, but uh, discussed kind of growing up in the church. And the way they looked at it was, um, I mean, they were kind of mocking our, our and once their beliefs, right? And I was kind of put on open mockery. And uh, so, yeah, evil is being called good and good is being called evil all around us. That's happening all around us. It's going to continue and it's going to increase. So these are the warnings of Isaiah. And uh, the ultimate warning, I think, is cease to do evil. Then in section three, it says God will do a great work in the latter days. Uh, this is the other big one that I wanted to focus on. But it says uh, in chapter two, verse three, it says, And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so on the flip side of all the evil that's surrounding us, it's also so much good, right? This is talking about going up to the temple. That's what I view it as, is going up to the temple. Uh, and it's in the temple that we learn about God. We learn about eternity. And a question that this stirred in myself, and I'll ask you this question as well, is when was the last time that you were in the temple? Uh, when, when was it? And, you know, when are you going to go next? And I very much plan to go as soon as possible. Actually, after I finish recording this, I'm going to go schedule an appointment. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 16, it says, or excuse me, actually. Okay, so um, this is in the footnote of this chapter, which I actually recommend you go, like, look it up, highlight or whatever. But it talks about in this footnote, it says that uh, the Greek version has, this is me reading it, sorry. The Greek version has one phrase that the Hebrew does not, and the Hebrew has one phrase that the Greek does not. But 2 Nephi chapter 12, verse 16 has both. Um to me, that's super interesting. This is kind of aside from the latter days, but I guess actually also very much part of the latter days, uh, this lesson. But it's interesting that 2 Nephi 12, 16 had both. It tells me how important it is, like a correct translation is. And uh, again, speaking of criticisms, I had just I had, uh heard this thing that the Book of Mormon is just a ripoff of the Bible. And then we, it, like, you know, it pretends to be scripture, even though it just plagiarized the Bible. But again, if the Bible was translated correctly, the Lord would not have instructed Nephi or any of the prophets of the Book of Mormon to write those things down and then correct it, right? And so, again, to me, I'm like, well, logically, if I know what I know to be true, that's not even a criticism. That's actually more silly that you thought that was a criticism. Um, because again, the Book of Mormon, if you believe it's a correct translation, and I certainly do, then it actually gives us the full picture of a lot of these scriptures. And then in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, it says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Uh, pulling out that scripture because those are some of Christ's gifts while he was on the earth. And I think it's interesting to think about the gifts that he had or that were within him um, because it's things that we can learn from and, and kind of see in his character as we read the Old Testament. Uh, I will read one last thing. Uh, I said it was, you know, those two. I'm actually, section four, actually. I'm going to call that one out. It says, prophets are called of God. In Isaiah chapter five, verse 21, it says, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Uh, I have seen 
I've seen a couple people leave the church because of this per- particular one that, that kind of the wisdom in their own eyes. It's funny because they're around the age of like 40 to 50. So I don't know if that's just the time frame where, um, and I'll be honest in particular, these are males, uh, that, that have left at that time frame, And it's because of kind of their own wisdom. They, they get kind of prideful. Uh, and, I, and I've had talks with them. So that's how I know this. They've gotten prideful in, in their own belief and understanding. They start questioning things and, it's kind of this attitude of like, I have outgrown the naivety of my youth and now I've had my eyes open. What's funny is that from my perspective, all I've seen is that they've never been more lost in their lives than where they've taken their own wisdom and, and run with it. And so that's a warning is, is never allow, no matter what age you are, you to believe that you are wiser than God or that your wisdom comes from yourself. It doesn't, it comes from the Holy Ghost. And... Um, we have an opportunity to listen to the prophet upcoming for general conference. And I encourage and invite you all to do so. So those are the big things that I wanted to share from Isaiah. And the question I have is, is what warning has Isaiah given from, from this reading that resonated with you? And uh, with that warning, how are you going to strengthen your defenses against the adversary this week? Uh, like I said, for me, I plan on scheduling an appointment at the temple right after I finish recording. Um, that's how I'm going to strengthen my defenses. And then also I'm going to prepare for general conference. Uh, but yeah, think about it and, uh, and, and strengthen your defenses, but thank you for joining my family room discussion. And until we meet again, have a blessed week.